Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? Good morning, One Church. Hope you all are doing all right. My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm glad that you are with us today. We are in part two of our Better Together series. I have the honor of being joined today by my love of my life, my best friend, Jamie. Good morning. Glad that Jamie is here. We're wrapping this series up, and I know it's only been two weeks, but uh, we're going to revisit this subject, I promise you, throughout the rest of 2019, but uh, this is just a start for us to engage relationships and marriage and all that stuff. Uh, Every week as a church staff, we gather together typically and pray. If we don't gather, we're still praying for you every week, but we get lots of prayer requests that come in, lots of uh, requests from just uh, people who call OneChurch.tv their home, people who don't call OneChurch their home church, and, and the most consistent requests that that we've seen over the last year and a half, maybe even two years, is one related to marriage issues. People who are dealing with the stress of life, marriage is on the rocks, don't think we're going to make it, lots of things going crazy in our lives. And so we felt it would be very helpful to pause and to take some time to talk about all things uh, marriage, relationships, because the reality is that that marriage is tough and in, in any healthy relationship is going to be tough, but marriage really is tough. And that's because you have two imperfect people trying to live happily ever after. And typically when that happens, something is bound to go wrong. So if you're here and you're struggling uh, in your marriage, you're here, you're struggling with whatever relationship you might be in right now, we just want to encourage you that you can be better together. You and your spouse, you can be better together for sure. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning in the very, very beginning of the Bible. And we're going to get there in just a few. Now, We all love a good love story, right? Ladies, I know mainly that's you that's going to say yes. But, you know, love stories, whether you read them in a book, you watch it on a TV show, a movie, whatever, it all kind of follows the same pattern. You've got a good-looking, hard-working man who meets this good-looking, hard-working, but kind of down-on-her-luck girl, and they go on a couple dates, they fall in love, and then everything kind of falls apart because somebody was hiding a secret, And usually they hide that secret and don't talk to the person they're in love with because their friends give them really bad advice not to. So they split up and somebody decides I'm going to go live somewhere else and and, and do life and try to get over you. And then all of a sudden they've got this really great reunion in an airport or on a plane, a train, whatever. And then they live happily ever after. And that sounds really good, right? Thing is, is anybody that's been in a relationship for more than five minutes, we know that that is not how it works. We love romantic comedies like these you might see on the screen. We, and, and when I say we, guys, don't act like you have not suffered through, I mean sat through, or enjoyed <laughs> many. You are a liar. Don't be lying in church. I know <laughs> you've seen some movies disguised as an action movie, but it really was a romantic comedy. We watch these movies and think that that's the way it's supposed to work, but that's not usually the way it works. Life doesn't resolve itself in 90 minutes. We, we don't have these big problems solved in such a quick way. The problem, though, is we, a lot of us want our relationships to be that way. We want this fairy tale, happily ever after, nothing ever goes wrong, or it's always the other person's fault, and so I don't have to deal with my junk. They're the ones who are going to get it. Right? We all want that crying in the rain type of scene to happen in our life that makes everything better. The truth is that is not how it works. A healthy marriage takes work. Say that, work. Work. It takes work. Some of y'all, that's the, the four-letter word. You don't like saying that word. Healthy marriage takes work. A healthy and God-honoring relationship, it takes 
work. It takes selflessness, like Chris and Kim talked about last week. It takes a serious commitment to unity. So where are you at this morning in your relationships? And if you're married, where are you at in your marriage? What does it look like to have a happily ever after? What do you do when it looks like things might not be happily ever after? Maybe you're here and you're a single adult and you don't even want to deal with any of this marriage stuff, but you know deep in your soul, you're kind of wrestling with what does next look like? What does happily ever after look like for me? And when things fall apart, what do you do? How do you fix a broken love story? What if we told you this morning that the purpose of marriage is actually to make you more like Jesus, not just to make you happy. In fact, Gary Thomas writes about that in his book, Sacred Marriage. He says the purpose of marriage is to make you holy, not just to make you happy. I think if we get back to that central truth and realize it is possible to have a happily ever after, you can end up finding yourself in a relationship that will last. So the big idea we want you to take away today, more than anything we say, we want you to remember this truth. The key to happily ever after is we before me. The key to making it last, the key to success in marriage, in relationships, is we before me. God wants holy marriages. He wants healthy relationships. What do you want? That's what God wants. Holy, healthy. What do you want? Holy is a powerful word. It's been hijacked uh, in some church circles. For some of us, we're afraid of it. It's an intimidating term. But I think it's helpful for us to understand that word so that we can then better understand what God wants for us and what God's plan is for our marriage and for our relationships. Holy means set apart, consecrated, or not lacking anything. It means complete. In fact, according to Dr. Mark Rutland, the opposite of holy is holy. Draw a circle in your mind. Now take an eraser, erase a couple places on that line, and what do you have? You don't have a circle anymore. Or, you know, it's holy. Or when you look at the Bible, it might look like this. That's the holy Bible, the, the Swiss cheese version. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy, holy, full of holes, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think of holy, what God wants, this completeness, the, the opposite of that would be holy. Right. Sorry. And this is what happens to us in our lives, our marriages, relationships, whatever. We try to plug the holes. Those are God-sized holes that we're trying to fill with other things. I was actually talking with a good friend over, uh, last weekend about that, people running from things, and they try to fill these God-sized holes within their lives with other things. It could be relationships, work, our kids, whatever, but that's not what God wants. We also try to use religion to fill the gap. Maybe we've used our marriage to kind of tighten things up or hope that it would, you know, straighten some things out. But in the end, only one person, one thing can make us complete. And so it's not ironic that the symbol we use, the ring, to symbolize our marriage is also the perfect symbol for God. Only one helps us to be holy, set apart, not lacking anything. So if we seem like, man, you guys are coming kind of heavy-handed, very preachy today in this message, we're doing that on purpose because we're trying to get you to understand if you want to have a healthy relationship, you must have a healthy relationship with Jesus first. Make sense? That's the only relationship that really matters. It's the center of everything. It's Mm -hmm. the central truth in our relationship. And I'm convinced if yours is crumbling right now, if you just get back to that important relationship, you might actually see God turn things around 
and healthy in there. So we're being intentional and kind of beating that horse of there's only one that can make us complete. We need to be complete in him. We need to have a view of marriage that, that, that looks towards what he wants for us first before we get into the practical and the so what of what does that look like for our life. So we're talking about God's way, God's plan. I think there's nothing better to do than to look at the very beginning. Look at the first marriage that we see in the Bible, man and woman living together, and see what we can learn from that, not only about why relationships crumble, but how we can actually be set up for success. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Now, if you are new here, we just finished a series called The Problem of God, where we talked about God and science, problem of hypocrisy. We talked about God in creation. And so at OneChurch.tv, we believe there is a God. He created everything out of nothing. And you can go to OneChurch.tv and catch that message. I think that was part two if you want to, or part one and part two, if you want to see where we stand on that. So for those of you who were here in that series, in Genesis, where we are right now, we are in the middle of the creation narrative. We're in the creation story, God creating all the birds, the plants, all that, creating human beings. And that's what we're going to jump in in verse 15. Here's what it says. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. Alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But there was still no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last! The man exclaimed, every man exclaimed, right? At last, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into what? One. One. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So that's what God set up for the first family, the good life. God saw this poor, homely man and said, it's not good for him to be alone. Let me find a suitable help for him. Let me give him someone to walk alongside him. Let me give him someone that is able to help him. I sure am glad that God saw me in my homeliness and, and, and sent me someone suitable to help me. I remember I was sitting in church at Northside Assembly of God in Tampa, Florida, acting like I was running sound, but that's really just where I went so I could sleep and not have to pay attention to the sermons. Don't act like y'all don't do the same thing. But anyway, I was in the back just goofing off, and I was there all day because that's just how I rolled back then. And I saw uh, Jamie walking towards the sound booth where I was. Now, earlier in the day, that, that morning service, back then we did serve at church in the morning and at the night. Some of y'all don't know what, about that life, but that's how we, we rolled. So I saw her in the morning service walk in, and I recognized her because I'd seen her on, at Southeastern University. I'd hang, hung out there with a lot of my friends, and I saw this really, really annoying girl on the basketball team stealing people's food off their plates, and my buddy said, man, that girl is so annoying. So that was my first impression of her, like, okay, she's the annoying girl that my friend doesn't like. So she showed up to, uh, to the church I'm at, uh, and I'm like, oh, there's that annoying girl that my friend doesn't like. So later that night, she came back, uh, but I didn't think, oh, there's that annoying girl. I thought, I need to talk to this girl. 
Um, and so I, I didn't ask for a phone number or anything like that. I, that might have been, I felt like that would have been too forward. That wouldn't have worked. And so uh, we just started a conversation, random conversation. And I don't know how we got on the subject, but I remember asking you, do you get mail in college? At that point, she told me she's from South Carolina and all that. And uh, she said she didn't really get a lot of mail. And I said, if I wrote you a letter, would you write me a letter back? And she said, of course I would. And so she gave me her address first. Not her phone number. This is old school. Some of y'all are like, what's an address? What do you, you didn't just email? No, this is, this is not those days. And so uh, I wrote her letter. She wrote back. Uh, and that started a, a great friendship. And that friendship turned into a relationship. And that turned into a family. Yep. And now listen to what he said. He first saw me in December in the cafeteria at school. We actually didn't meet each other until January. And then in February, we started dating. In April, we got engaged, and by September, we were married. We were almost, we were actually 20 and almost 19 when we got married. I dropped out of college because I was going to give it a year with this getting, being used to being married thing, and then I was going to go back. Carlo had a GED with no real job. He was a drummer in a punk band. <laughs> and true to the punk lifestyle, he didn't take showers. Like, I literally had to say, you need to take a shower it's because people are taking us man, to dinner you know, for our engagement. Be green. Mm -hmm. Save water. Save my nose. But <laughs> the thing was, is we both loved Jesus, and yeah. that was our commitment. We knew that we loved each other, we loved God, and this was what God wanted for us, was to spend the rest of our lives together. And so we purposed that we were going to love Jesus, we were going to love each other, and we were going to fight because when we got married— there wasn't anybody standing in our corner telling us that we were going to make it and that we were going to do things right. We actually did pretty much everything wrong when you look at the books and the plans for life and how you should start a relationship and end up getting married. And so everybody told us that it would not last. Yeah, and, and they said it wouldn't last because we didn't follow kind of their box and kind of their formula of, of what would happen. And, and and so, parents, we might not be the people you want to send your 19-year-old when they think they want to get married, because I'm going to high-five them and say, you want to do it today? Let's go. Let's, let, let's get married. My, my mother was 17 years old when she went on her first date with my father. It was a blind date at Fort Hood, Texas. She went because her sister was also dating a soldier. They had about a year-long relationship where they never saw each other. They just wrote letters, and they were married for 26 years before my father passed away. So it's, it's kind of in my DNA that if God is in it and it's going to be, you love Jesus, you work hard for each other and you'll make it and it will absolutely last. And, and by God's grace, we're blasting into our 21st year uh, as one. We almost have a, 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 we almost have a marriage that can buy an alcoholic beverage. So it, it's, <laughs> when you put it into perspective, we're only 21 years old. Like we're barely out of college, right? Uh, we're just learning and figuring this thing out. But one important thing that my mother told me when we said we wanted to get married, she was actually one of the main people who encouraged us. We said everyone said it wouldn't last, but my mom actually was one of the ones who encouraged us. No, go for it. Uh, get married. She told me uh, that no matter what happens, if we stayed united and we stayed team Carlo and Jamie, mm -hmm. that no money problem, no personal problem, no pet peeve, no annoyance, nothing would ever stop you if you two stay united. And that's just something that we've kind of lived by our entire lives is it's going to be team us. We have to win. Uh, and that's what matters the most. Yeah. And when we let little things get between us and slow us down, that's what brings friction to our relationships. But when we're determined to stay one, when we're determined to be team us, 
Our marriages are always going to be the light and the dark. If you're single, you can still live the most content life ever while you're waiting for that person if that's what you want in your, your life. You just have to allow yourself to be complete in Jesus. So Adam and Eve, they were team Adam and Eve. They were one. God set everything up for them. Everything is, is, is good in their lives until one little thing got in the way. And it's the one little thing that messes up all relationships. It's our enemy. It's our nemesis. And as much as we try to fight this one little thing, we are powerless on our own. And, and the, that one little thing is not the devil. Some of y'all thought y'all were going to get a little out. Just blame it on the devil. No, the one little thing is our own desires. The enemy is our own desires. Adam and Eve had it good in the garden. They had the garden. They had each other. They had nakedness. And they were not ashamed, and they had plenty of food. That, my friends, is the good life, right? That's what you want. That's, that, that's it, you know? And one decision turned that good life into the nightmare that we now live in today. How many relationships have been messed up because of the same foolishness? Let me tell you a couple. If you're struggling this morning, your issue is deeper than just, oh, your spouse gets on your nerves, if you're struggling, your issue is deeper than, well, he won't get a job and, and all he does is, is this or she, all she does is overspend or vice versa. Your issue is deeper than the boyfriend who won't commit, yeah. right? The, re, the issue is deeper than, than that, that girlfriend who wants all the benefits of being married and none of the responsibility. The issue is our selfishness. It's really sinfulness. Mm -hmm. That selfishness, that sinfulness on us, it makes us stupid, Makes us do stupid things. In this garden, God said, here is the tree of life. You can eat from that. Here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that. So he basically set them up. I'm setting before you life and death. You can choose life forever just like this, but don't eat from that tree over there. And as we're going to read into the story, we're going to see what selfishness did. And in fact, what it does is it helps us answer this question. Why do relationships die? If it's as easy as just being one, if it's as easy as just being united, then why do relationships die? Why do relationships blow it? Why do they fail? I know last week you got some awesome, encouraging steps for, for lessons learned and successful learns. This week we're going to show you the opposite a little bit. Here's why you can blow it. Here's how relationships die and they fail. The first one reason is a faulty foundation. Mm -hmm. Relationships built on a faulty foundation. If you don't repair that foundation, I have to be careful to make sure I say that. That's the beauty of being in Jesus is he makes everything brand new, right? We get a brand new start. We get that second chance, that fourth chance, that 9,075th chance, right? That's what's awesome about the grace of God. But a faulty foundation messes everything up. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day... He asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. So you have this lie that's told and presented to Eve. And she chooses, instead of standing on the truth, she chooses to entertain the lie. Yeah. So sometimes we believe the lies of the enemy instead of the truth of God's word. But where was Adam 
while Eve was being attacked by the enemy's lies. Getting a snack. He's probably eating from one of the other trees. He was standing right there watching her. Probably was. Oh, he was. When you start a relationship on the faulty foundation of sex, money, looks, whatever, you're setting yourself up for failure. Those things, they're fleeting. They do not last. Don't believe the lie that those are the most important things because what lasts is the truth of God's promises. And for Adam and Eve, the truth of the promise is if you eat from this tree, you're surely going to die. Proof positive of the life we live right now, the world we're living in, right? So the good news is you can rebuild the foundation, like Carlos said, by letting God cleanse you of your past, deal with what happened in the past, and then move forward. Even if you started on the faulty foundation, that doesn't mean your story cannot end well. So take your pulse this morning, couple. What, what lie have you believed that's got your relationship shaky? Maybe you believe the lie that you're perfect. Maybe you believe the lie that everything is her fault, that everything is his fault. Maybe you believe the lie that you're not supposed to have any problems in your marriage. And everyone married longer than three years laughs at you, right? Yeah, Newlyweds. Stop believing that lie. Don't believe the lie that there's not going to be trouble, that there's not going to be when you set yourself up believing the lie instead of the truth, you're starting on a shaky foundation. So relationships die because they start on this faulty foundation. And then second reason, and we've talked about this already, is selfishness. This is the source of most relational drama, by the way selfishness. Look what happens. Verse six, Genesis chapter three. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was where? With her, not eating a snack, not in the corn. He was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. There's a whole lot packed into that passage of scripture. One thing that I can tell you, it's not even in the notes, it's not even really the context of this message, but some, someone here, you need to hear this today. The first feeling of sinfulness, the first feeling of listening to the lie of the enemy that we see in the entire Bible is shame. If you're here and you're struggling with shame because of your past, you're struggling with shame because of something you did, I'm telling you, that feeling does not come from the God of all grace. That's right. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the love of Jesus. The enemy told them this lie. They believed it. And the first fruit of living a life built on the foundation of lies instead of truth is shame. That's right. If you're struggling with shame, that ain't Jesus. Nope. Trust me. I know that's not proper English, but I got a PhD and you don't, so I'm just going to say it like that. That ain't English. They felt shame. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The second thing we do when we follow this faulty foundation because of our own selfishness, we're going to feel shame and then we're going to try to fix it on our own. That's exactly what Adam and Eve do here. Here's the truth. It's not about you, your relationship. It's not about your desires. I know so many people, single adults especially. Yes. Jamie and I, we did college ministry for five years. We were mm -hmm. pastors to yep. college students and single students, uh, single adults. And we would just laugh at this laundry list that they would come up with of what the perfect man has to look like. He needs to be tall. He's got to have a job. He needs to have an education. He needs to work out. He needs to take care of himself. He needs to love Jesus more than the pastor. Like he has to have all this stuff. But I would look at the person making that list and i'm like first of all you look dusty you live with your mama you don't have a job like 
how you expect this guy to be all that? And you're a hot mess and a half. Like that just doesn't make, and that's so selfish, right? How could you possibly expect God to send someone to you, single adult, that you're not even willing to be? Oh, y'all got quiet. Now I'm getting your business. I like it. (laughs) Now, married people, think about this. Do you think your spouse exists to be what you want them to be? Do you think that they're here, that they are your partner for the rest of your life to fulfill your every wish and desire, to do all the things that you want them to do and be without you trying to be the same thing to them? Marriage isn't about changing your spouse. It's about God changing you as you love and serve your spouse. You've heard it said a million times, if you both try to outserve, outlove each other, you're going to win every time. Don't be selfish in your love, in your wants, in your desires and expectations. Be united with one another. You say, man, Carlo, Jamie, you guys don't know what we're dealing with, though. You don't know what we're fighting with. You don't know the pain. You don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. I don't know all those things, but I do know one thing. You're selfish. Because I am. Mm -hmm. It's the human condition, right? Yep. Because I am. I know a little bit of humility and a little bit of selflessness goes a long way Mm -hmm. in fixing so much of the junk that we're dealing with. I'm not trying to belittle your struggle. I'm not trying to belittle your pain. I'm trying to help you get through it. And I'm telling you, selflessness is one of the key ways to do it. Relationships die when they're built on a faulty foundation, when they're centered on selfishness. Mm -hmm. And then finally, unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness is the great relationship killer. This is unfaithfulness to God and Mm -hmm. unfaithfulness to each other. Now, Adam didn't physically cheat on Eve like we would think about in our culture, but he sure did throw her under the bus as soon as he was given the opportunity when the pressure was on. Let's wrap up this passage of scripture. Verse eight, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, by the way, they're naked in the cool evening. That's not fair, God. But anyway, the cool evening breezes were blowing. The man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Dummies. Verse nine, then the Lord God called the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Didn't I tell you that sin and selfishness makes us do stupid things? And say stupid things. How are you going to hide from God? He's God. Where are you going to go? It's crazy. Anyway, I hid because I was naked. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. There it is, unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. She did it. He he left out the part, oh, I was standing right there the whole time, God, when you told us not to eat from the tree. And let her do it. I was standing there when it happened. I let her have this conversation with the shrewd serpent. He just throws her under the bus. The woman you gave me. But it gets worse. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why. I ate it. You see the selfishness, the self-centeredness right here. We're not even three chapters into the Bible, and this is what human beings do. It's not my fault, it's hers. It's not my fault, it's this person's. And we go down blaming, and we never say, I did it. It's me. Fix me. Help me. Mm -hmm. Now, I know personally the pain of divorce and a broken home and the toll that it takes, not just on 
the marriage, but on the children, on the family and how that comes out. I know how much my parents divorced when I was 15 and unfaithfulness impacted my own life. I also know the power of trust, forgiveness, and starting over. The most important thing is to avoid blame and instead take ownership for what you can control. There's so many ways you can diffuse a situation. You can help with a fresh start, make things better by just taking ownership for what you did. I'm sorry, you're right. You know what I did? It was wrong, and I apologize. There's so, you can help things out so much when you do that. You can choose to stay faithful to God, even if your marriage is collapsing. You can choose. That's what I want you to understand. In the struggle that you're dealing with this morning, if you're struggling, you can choose faithfulness. Mm -hmm. You can choose selflessness. You can choose this firm foundation of unity. You can say it doesn't matter what our marriage has been up to this point. From this point forward, we're going to choose to do things God's way, the right way. We're going to honor God with our, our marriage. Maybe you're here and you're not married and you're in a relationship. You can choose from this moment forward, we're going to honor God with everything we do, with everything that we say. How are your relationships this morning? How is your marriage this morning? What, what do you do when it looks like there's not going to be a happily ever after when it looks like it's not going to last. We've seen how these marriages fall and fail, but, but practically, what does this all mean? How do, how do you live it out? Well, like I said, we've been married 20 years, going into our 21st year of marriage, and we're not sitting up here pretending to be the experts. We're not sitting up here pretending to have it all together. But here's one thing I can tell you that's God-honest truth. I have never spent a night on the couch in my life in my marriage that wasn't because I was sick and didn't want to keep my wife up coughing. We have never gone to sleep angry with unsettled conflict in our marriage. We've never done it because we just decided we're going to choose to talk this thing out, fight this thing out, resolve this conflict. And I'm telling you, it is possible to live that kind of life, to live that kind of marriage. Even when we first got married uh, and I was in the army, when I was the most selfish person in the world, we still tried our best to live by this promise that, hey, it's going to be team us. We're going to be united. And Jamie did a lot of sacrificing and she was the one way closer to God than I was in those early years. Thank God for her and for her grace. But I just know that it's possible to have a relationship, that a marriage that everyone says shouldn't last on paper. It doesn't look right, but you can have the best marriage ever. Can I confess something to you? In this, this is a safe space, right? You guys are not going to judge me too bad? I don't care if you do because y'all can't fight like me, so it's all good. <laughs> we have actually sat together amazed that we get to live this life. Yep. We have actually said, God, this isn't fair that this is this fun and this awesome, and it breaks our hearts when we see other people struggling because we are not perfect. We haven't done anything, this magic formula of we followed these steps. We just said we're going to keep Jesus at the center of our marriage, and we know Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and we're going to be all in on each other, and we'll win. So let me give you practical steps, five practical keys, I think, to help you make it last for the long haul. We have not yet made it for the long haul. Like I said, we're, we're, we're not even halfway to what long haul really would be, but we're getting there. But let me just give you some practical steps. Number one, connection. Deepen your friendship. Carlo is my best friend on this planet. I've got a couple of ladies in my life that I know that I can talk to. They help me keep accountable. I know that they pray for me all of the time, but there is no one on this earth that knows me as well as Carlo does. There's no one 
that I don't divulge the deepest, darkest corners of my heart, good or bad, other than to Carlo. He's the one person that does it. Make your spouse your best friend. If they're not your best friend, if your best friend, the person that you're always turning to for advice or to get things off your chest is someone that is not your spouse, you need to change that. You need to fix that because that that person is standing in your marriage and they shouldn't be. Your marriage is you and your spouse. Yeah. And that's the way it should always be. Yeah. Have friends. I, I, we've got friends, Absolutely. but I'm, I don't have a BFF other than Jamie. Like no one else gets that place in my life outside of my wife. So connection is key. Second one, we've beat this, this horse already, but I'm going to keep at it. Conversion. Conversion. When we say yes to Jesus, we are changed, converted. We don't make converts. We just have conversations, right? That's what we're called to do. Go have conversations, point people to Jesus. Jesus comes and does the converting. He changes. He transforms. The Bible says we become brand new. Old things passed away. Everything becomes brand new when we say yes to Jesus. And so in view of that, now I belong to Jesus. Now we belong to Jesus. Then we keep him at the center of our marriage. More than that, the Bible says uh, when we get married when two become come together the two become one so now we've not only converted as in hey we're following jesus now we belong to this new family but we are no longer me and you we become one person together we become one so we're changed so in view of that conversion from people in darkness to people in light and from individuals to now one unit almost like voltron y'all know voltron right combining right when when our powers you know are combined right we that's that's kind of how this thing rolls so because of that we fight for our team because we're brand new and we're changed Pastor Chris touched on this a little bit last week. I'm going to touch on it again. We do not compromise and let anything come in between us. That means our kids. I love my sons, both of them. I love them, but I'm telling you, since they were little, little boys, they knew there is one person in my life other than Jesus, more important than you, little boy, and that's my wife. So you don't get to talk to my wife that way. You better respect my wife. They grew up hearing that. I didn't tell them to respect their mother. That's her job to tell him to respect. I say, you respect my wife. I'll put you through that wall for real. Like this, this is my woman till death. Do we part? I just had this conversation with my teenage son, my friend, I've got you for a couple more years. Then you're grown and gone. She's with me forever. So she comes first. She comes always right. When our kids were toddlers, uh, especially our oldest son, Tony, he's 19. Now we just decided we are not going to negotiate with terrorists. It's our family policy. Do not negotiate with terrorists. Some of your marriages are stressed because you're negotiating with terrorists called a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Hey, be an adult and put your marriage first. I'm glad you said it and not me. Because look, if we, if we win, the kids are going to win, right? right? Yeah. If we win, the kids always win. But if we lose, we know it's not going to go well for their life. So, mm-hmm. so conversion, you're one team now. Third thing is, is construction. You cultivate shared interests. Uh, Jamie and I were good friends before we became romantic, even though we didn't hang out for a long time. But in that period, before we said, let's start a relationship, we were good friends. We were close friends. And so we cultivated our shared interests and we have a lot in common. And let's say opposites attract, but we actually have tons of stuff in common. And so as the years go by, we continue to develop and sharpen those relationships. Mm-hmm. Number four is collection. Build memories together. Go places, do things together. And when you do those things, don't live behind your camera. Don't live through selfies. Live through the actual shared experience. Take the picture for the scrapbook, 
then put your phone away and be engaged with one another and what you're doing. We spent a week in London for our 20th anniversary, and let me tell you, it was amazing. Some of you might have seen pictures that we, you know, put out on social media and stuff, but those were just a couple, and then the rest of the time we were at whatever thing we were doing, Stonehenge, the museum. It was just Carlo and I talking together, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. Can you see that? Do you, like, We've seen it on TV, whatever. You have to do those things. You have to be together as you do those. Don't be afraid to ask one of your friends, hey, would you mind watching the kids for me? We'll do it for you guys next weekend. Go have a date. Go, go grab a cup of coffee and just sit and spend 45 minutes together talking. But have those experiences that you're cultivating, deepening your connection, deepening your friendship. Make that happen. And the final thing, and, and we're done with this, is conviction. Have the conviction that marriage is going to last as yep. long as your lives do. Take divorce off the table. It's yep. never an option. It's never an option. Live by that conviction and you'll see yourself set up for success. Our prayer for you is that you would be one. If you're married, you guys would be so united to God. You'd be so united to each other and that you would see it is possible in spite of the odds, in spite of the circumstances, to have a marriage that can absolutely last. Here's the key, though. The key to that happily ever after is we before me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you for saving us, for loving us, for giving us this great gift of marriage. God, I pray for everyone in this, this place right now who's struggling. You know what they're facing, what they're fighting. God, I pray that you would help them to see you clearly. Help them, Lord, to trust you. Help them to grow in just the truth of your word, that you are for them, not against them, that you're with us and you don't leave us, you don't forsake us. God, if there's a person here who's not said yes to you, I pray this would be that moment that they say, God, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need you. And I know you'll show up, you'll save like only you can. Would you help us, God, to let go of selfishness and instead to run to you, to run to your truth? I thank you, God, that your love is big and it's powerful and you gave your everything for us that we might have a relationship with you. Help us through these relationships that we have to honor that great gift you've given us. Thank you for your love in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.